0: I'll just pray as we come before God's word. Thank you, God, for revealing yourself to us in Jesus and for giving us your precious word in the Bible. Please prepare our hearts and our minds to hear your voice and uh, love it and learn from it. Amen. So John chapter 7, verses 1 to 24. After this, Jesus went around in Galilee. He did not want to go about in Judea because the Jewish leaders there were looking for a way to kill him. But when the Jewish festival of tabernacles was near, Jesus' brothers said to him, Leave Galilee and go to Judea so that your disciples there may see the works you do. No one who wants to become a public figure acts in secret. Since you are doing these things, show yourself to the world. For even his own brothers did not believe in him. Therefore, Jesus told them, My time is not yet here, for you any time will do. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me, because I testify that its works are evil. You go to the festival. I am not going up to this festival, because my time has not yet fully come. After he had said this, he stayed in Galilee. However, after his brothers had left for the festival, he went also, not publicly, but in secret. Now at the festival, the Jewish leaders were watching for Jesus and asking, where is he? Among the crowds, there was widespread whispering about him. Some said, he is a good man. Others replied, no, he deceives the people. But no one would say anything publicly about him for fear of the leaders. Not until halfway through the festival did Jesus go up to the temple courts and begin to teach. The Jews there were amazed and asked, How did this man get such learning without having been taught? Jesus answered, My teaching is not my own. It comes from the one who sent me. Anyone who chooses to do the will of God will find out whether my teaching comes from God or whether I speak on my own. Whoever speaks on their own does so to gain personal glory. But he who seeks the glory of the one who sent him is a man of truth. There is nothing false about him. Has not Moses given you the law? Yet not one of you keeps the law. Why are you trying to kill me? You are demon possessed, the crowd answered. Who is trying to kill you? Jesus said to them, I did one miracle. And you are all amazed Because Moses gave you circumcision Though actually it did not come from Moses But from the patriarchs You circumcise a boy on the Sabbath Now if a boy can be circumcised on the Sabbath So that the law of Moses may not be broken Why are you angry with me For healing a man's whole body on the Sabbath Stop judging by mere appearances But instead judge correctly
1: Uh, Keep that passage open in front of you, and if there's a handout, uh, if you've got the handout, there's an outline of where we're going. Uh, But if if you've ever been seriously misunderstood, maybe you'll know what I'm uh, talking about. Uh, Lots of us have had experience about being seriously misunderstood about something. You'll know it can be a really frustrating thing when you're saying one thing and you're you're heard to say something totally different. Or Probably where this comes home for many Christians today is when, I don't know if you have this experience, when the topic of Christianity comes up in the media or maybe you're talking with your friends, um, it always kind of makes me cringe a little inside because what I know as this really beautiful and liberating and truthful reality. Um, it's just, it's, it's, it, it's totally misunderstood and comes across in a totally different different way. Um, and it's not just misunderstood. Increasingly, it's kind of actively opposed, uh, even hated um, uh, by some. And maybe uh, maybe you feel that as well, this kind of feeling of being misunderstood. Well, John in John 7, Jesus is surrounded by people who misunderstand him, um, who get him wrong. Uh, there are people who actively oppose him, who... Hates him and ultimately who want to kill him. It's, an, it's, it's quite an interesting shift from last week. If you were here last week, we finished off John chapter 6 and at the end of chapter 6, uh, if you remember, Jesus, uh, the chapter finishes with um, uh, all these people leaving Jesus. Uh, they, hear, they hear him out, they hear what he's got to say about himself and they say, that's not for me, see you later. They, they leave Jesus. Um, but things really seem to ramp up from there into chapter 7. There's kind of this shift that happens. Um, and, and it really happens from the very first verse of chapter 7. Uh, verse 1, after this, um, so after Jesus has um, talked with the people about being the bread of life and after people have left him and uh, he said, um, uh, his disciples have said, you alone have the words of eternal life. After this, Jesus went around in Galilee. He did not want to go about in Judea because the Jewish leaders there, these guys weren't just kind of saying, I don't believe what you're saying, see you later. The Jewish leaders there were looking for a way to kill him. Um, There's a map that should come up on the screen. Jesus knew that, so this is, uh, hopefully this is familiar, just to kind of orient us, see that little um, lake up the top, that's where Jesus has been all this time, that's where he fed the 5,000, uh, that's where he talked about um, being the bread of life, uh, he crossed over the water, if you remember that, um, and, and and he's staying up there, because he knows down south, you can see the word Judea down there, down near Jerusalem, he knows down there, um, uh, he isn't, he, he isn't popular at all. Uh, that's where the, the leadership, the Jewish leadership, is sort of concentrated down there. Uh, last time he was there was back in chapter 5 in John, which we looked at not long ago, uh, where he, he, healed, he caused a bit of a stir by healing a lame man on the Sabbath. Um, if you remember that story, uh, the Sabbath was the special day of rest for Jewish people each Saturday Um, So Jesus heals on the Sabbath, and that one event, that one healing, sparks off this hostility towards Jesus that carries through all of these chapters. Um, So Jesus is now, he's kind of staying up north uh, and going around Galilee, but things come to a bit of a head. So if we go back to the Bible passage, uh, things come to a bit of a head when we're told in verse 2 that the Feast of Tabernacles was near. So Jesus is staying around up north. Um, but in verse 2 we find out that the Feast of Tabernacles was near. This is kind of this big religious moment in the Jewish calendar. People would come from all over uh, the, 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 the um, land of Israel, they'd, they'd come all over. It was kind of like an annual pilgrimage, a, a little bit like our, our annual pilgrimage this weekend. We've got sort of people from all over uh, on pilgrimage to Victor Harbour, living in tents, um, uh, it was, uh, that's, what, that's what they would do, although kind of on a much larger scale. Tens of thousands of people from all over Israel would come to Jerusalem and they'd live in tents for this festival. It was a way of remembering when their ancestors wandered around the wilderness. If you're familiar with that story, their ancestors, uh, wand- uh, they'd been freed from Egypt and before they went into the promised land, they were wandering around, they had to live in tents it was a way. It was a celebration of God's salvation, how he brought them out of Egypt, how he sustained them in the wilderness and eventually led them uh, to their promised land. And, uh, so all this causes Jesus, so this is a big religious moment, right? it's one of the biggest moments in the whole year for um, the people. Uh, all this causes Jesus' brothers to give him a bit of a prod in the ribs. In verse 3, Jesus' brothers said to him, Leave Galilee and go to Judea, so that your disciples there may see the works you do. No one who wants to become a public figure acts in secret. Since you are doing these things, show yourself to the world. For even his brothers did not believe in him. see what's going on here? Um, Not even Jesus' brothers get him. They don't believe in him. They know that he's sort of caused a bit of a splash. Uh, he's done some um, strange things. Um, uh, but they also know that pretty much all of his disciples have left him at this point. And it may be that what they're, what they're saying is, look, if you want to be a big shot, Jesus, you know, if you want to get back all those disciples who've left you, um, you have to do something spectacular. Um, everyone is in Jerusalem. There's no better time than now. This Feast of Tabernacles, everyone's there. Uh, It's the perfect time for you to go and do something spectacular. Make a name for yourself. Win back those disciples who've left you. And you see how Jesus replies. See how he replies in verse 6. You see, they're thinking about things in terms of this world, in terms of here and now. But Jesus has this much bigger perspective in mind. Uh, He's not driven by the same priorities as them. That's why he says in verse 6, my time is not yet here, for you any time will do. Now, Jesus is working from his Father's timeline, God the Father. Not, not, he's not working on the timeline of the marketing gurus around him who say, any time's a great time to promote yourself. Um, Jesus knows he will, in a way, be promoted. Um, he'll show, he will show himself to the world, um, but not in the world's way, or in the world's timing, because there is ultimately a great gulf between him and the world. Verse 7, it says this to his brothers, The world cannot hate you, but it hates me, because I testify that its works are evil. You go to the festival, I'm not going up to this festival, because my time has not yet fully come. After he said this, he stayed in Galilee. It's such strong language, isn't it, Jesus uses? Uh, Jesus says the world hates him. Not just dismisses him, not just kind of tolerates him uh, in a patronizing kind of a way. It hates him. It hates him, Jesus says, because he testifies that its works are evil. Not just misguided, not just unfortunate, (laughs) but evil. Jesus paints these extremes. Um, right in the beginning of John's Gospel, um, John has already talked about Jesus as this light, this shining, incredible, bright light that shines into the darkness. Uh, the true light that came into the world, but that wasn't recognized by the world. Um, there's, a, there's a kind of exposing that happens when you meet Jesus. Jesus. He is like that kind of piercing light that penetrates into our deepest parts and exposes all our selfishness and pride and wickedness. And once you've been exposed like that, there's a couple of options in front of you. (laughs) You can either lash out in anger against this light um, or you can accept its truth, be sort of um, broken by it and receive Jesus' free gift of forgiveness and life and be born again. There isn't really a middle ground Uh, and Jesus knows that to go down to Jerusalem with his brothers like like the way that they want him to, to go down there with him in this way, to reveal himself in this powerful way to try and win back people to himself, he knows that to do that would be thinking, it'd be kind of like making friends with the world in a way. It'd be thinking in the way the world thinks But Jesus is not primarily the world's friend. He is the world's saviour and Lord. And when the time would come for him to be revealed, it wouldn't be through a kind of great, impressive display of worldly power. It would be through the foolishness of the cross. We'll think more about that in a moment. So Jesus doesn't go with his brothers. Um, But he does go later on, we're told, in secret, um, this isn 't him sort of going back on what he said he wasn 't lying before I, I, uh, when he says he won 't go up to this festival, he just means he 's not going to go up with his brothers in the way that they want him to, but he does go and we find out in verse eleven that people are expecting him. The Jewish leaders are on the lookout right presumably they they 're worried he 's going to they 're worried that he 's thinking like his brothers are he 's going to come and do this spectacular thing. Um, But it's not just the leaders. In verse 12, everyone else is looking out for him too. Among the crowds, there was a widespread whispering about him. Some said he's a good man. Others replied, no, he deceives the people. But no one would say anything publicly about him for fear of the leaders. So there's this this kind of layering on. There's more misunderstanding. His brothers misunderstood him. Now these guys, some of them are, are kind of on the right track. So they say he's a good man. Um, but that's still a misunderstanding about Jesus, if that's where it, all, all that you think, if that's where it stays. Jesus is far more than just a good man. Others have a darker assessment. You can see there he's a deceiver. In, uh, in the Old Testament scriptures, there are all these, these warnings about these deceiving prophets who would come and lead people away from God, and some people think Jesus is like that. Um, the fact that he, they think he's broken the law, the Sabbath law, to heal this guy... Uh, perhaps push them that way. But either way, no one's game to speak openly about Jesus. That's interesting, isn't it? There's a kind of freedom of speech oppression going on here. Um, everyone knows how controversial Jesus is, and they're not sure if saying the wrong thing will get them in trouble with the authorities, so they all sort of huddle and whisper and keep their mouths shut. Uh, but there's another misunderstanding of Jesus that comes through in verse 14 and 15 as you keep reading on. Um, Jesus does go public in verse 14 but interestingly not with signs and wonders like people expect him to. He goes public with his teaching and his teaching does amaze them but they just can't figure it out. This is, uh, It's kind of like the brothers' misunderstanding. They can't imagine Jesus being a great person without, without all the accolades of the world. Um, the certificates of the he here, here in these verses, it's kind of about education. Jesus, they know Jesus hasn't been to theological college. They know um, he's a blue-collar carpenter. So they ask in verse 15, how did this man get such learning without having been taught? They're looking for a kind of top-of-the-class rabbi with multiple PhDs to uh, teach them some new insights. That's the kind of person they'd follow, but he's Jesus speaking with more knowledge and authority about the things of God than anyone ever has. So, people get Jesus wrong, they misunderstand him, but from verse 16, Jesus starts to set them right. Jesus answers them in verse 16, My teaching is not my own. It comes from the one who sent me. They're looking for this guru, um, some new teaching of their own to follow, uh, who brings some great new teaching that's come out of themselves. But that's not Jesus. He's not just one more philosopher, right? He's not just one more teacher with his own unique take on life. He is the eternal Son sent into the world by the Father. He is the divine word made flesh. He's not like those other teachers who try to gain a following for themselves and seek their own glory and feed their own pride. Uh, down in verse 18, he seeks the glory of the one who sent him. He's the man of truth. There's nothing false about him. you see what, though, what Jesus says in between those? It's really interesting if we go back to verse 17, sandwiched in there. You get this picture of Jesus, right? He's totally relaxed about his own authority, his own truthfulness. Um, and he, he knows who he is and that what he, says, what he says is what God the Father says. He knows that. But how is it that other people will know this truth? How is it that other people will know this truth? We've seen some answers to that through John's Gospel already. A major one in John is, you want to know how to know about Jesus? Look at the signs, these signs all the way through the gospel, these incredible things that Jesus does that point to who he is. Um, That's a big thing in John. But Jesus adds another kind of layer here, another factor. And it's really significant, I think. Verse 17, anyone who chooses to do the will of God will find out whether my teaching comes from God or whether I speak on my own a complicated little verse, but Jesus seems to be saying it's not just a matter of seeing his signs and following them. People's unbelief isn't just because they haven't seen enough evidence about Jesus. It, Jesus seems to be saying there's a moral kind of side to it as well. There's a moral side. You, you can't see Jesus, you won't accept him, his teaching about God if your heart is proud and disobedient towards God it is those who humbly seek God's ways who seek God's will who will see and re- receive Jesus um, I remember one conversation with an older pastor where he, he said that when people came to talk to him about their doubts about their faith about who Jesus is so, um He'd sort of uh, talk to them a bit, and but really, the first thing he wanted to um, explore with them, where he where he did, where he went first of all, wasn't to get the books down from the shelf about um, answering the top ten objections to Christianity. That's really important, um, and it has a really vital part to play. But this this uh, older pastor was saying, the first thing he'd do is he'd ask. Um, This person who's really struggling with um, doubts about their faith, he'd ask, so what sin are you struggling with at the moment? It's quite perceptive, isn't it? He knew that there's a moral dimension to unbelief. Jesus exposes us. He testifies that our deeds are evil. And it can be the case, not always. I don't want to belittle um, real... um, Kind of doubts that people have that need working through, but it can, be, it can often be the case that our intellectual objections or our doubts are hiding a kind of deeper pride, a disobedience, an unwillingness to let the light of Jesus shine into our deepest parts and humble us and bring us to cast ourselves on His mercy alone, on His wonderful love for us sinners that has been poured out at the cross. So Jesus is the word of the Father, the one who perfectly reveals him. And he says, anyone who chooses to do the will of God will find out whether my teaching comes from God or whether I speak on my own. But Jesus keeps going and he gets to the main issue that's been bugging the Jewish leaders all this time, this healing of the lame man on the Sabbath that we looked back at in in chapter 5. So what's happened? These guys have accused Jesus of breaking the law. Uh, by doing work on the Sabbath, of healing this man, making him pick up his mat and carry it around. Um, Jesus, Jesus doesn't accept he's broken the law. We'll see that in a moment. But the first thing he does is he kind of points out their hypocrisy. In verse 19, Has not Moses given you the law, yet not one of you keeps the law? Why are you trying to kill me? Um, the leaders say Jesus should die because he broke the law. Um, but Jesus knows, again, that's just really a cover-up. They're talking about the law, but they don't even keep it themselves. Um, The crowds don't realize he's speaking to the leaders. They think he's just gone mad. They they kind of don't know what's going on behind the scenes. And they say in verse 20, you're crazy, you're demon-possessed. Not just crazy, but evil, demon-possessed. Who is trying to kill you? But Jesus, he presses on. He basically says, I see right through you, Your rage about me breaking the Sabbath isn't really about that. You hate me because I testify testify that your deeds are evil. It's not really about the Sabbath and I'll prove it to you. (laughs) You have this other law from God through Moses that boys were to be circumcised on the eighth day after their birth. Um, So you've got this tension already. What do you do on the Sabbath if it's the eighth day after a boy's been born? Well, of course you circumcise them. Uh, So you yourself know that that's not breaking the law. That's upholding the law. Verse 23, Jesus goes on, Now if a boy can be circumcised on the Sabbath so that the law of Moses may not be broken, why are you angry with me for healing a a man's whole body on the Sabbath? Stop judging by mere appearances, but instead judge correctly. Jesus is the one sent by the Father who perfectly speaks his words with his truth and authority. And here, Jesus Jesus is the one who judges correctly, the one who doesn't just go by appearances, the one who sees things rightly. So much in this passage, isn't isn't there? It's It's really a passage about people judging Jesus. A passage about all these people people casting their judgments on Jesus, weighing weighing him up, trying to figure him out. But of course that's not quite right, is it? Because as you go through, you figure out that the real judge here is Jesus himself. He's actually the one who judges correctly, who speaks perfectly for God because he is God in the flesh the one who sees right into people, who doesn't seek after their glory, but exposes them so that they might receive his salvation. Maybe that's you today. Maybe you're still kind of weighing up Jesus. Um, it's helpful to hear Jesus' words here. Isn't it? There's a little bit of a sting in them. Uh, if what Jesus says about himself is true, you'll never actually be able to accept it so long as you're looking down on him in judgment. Um, There's this great quote, I didn't get up on the slide, sorry, but I've mentioned it before, uh, uh, from C.S. Lewis. He writes about this. He says, A proud man is always looking down on things and people, and of course as long as you are looking down, you cannot see something that is above you. As long as you're looking down, you cannot see something that is above you. The tragedy of this chapter is that everyone in it is looking down on Jesus. They're judging him, but they're just judging by mere appearances and they can't see him for who he really is. But it's not all tragedy here, is it? It is a bit of a sober passage. Um, uh, It's one of those more sober passages, but it it should help. It should at least help those of us who are Christians to not be surprised when people don't get. Jesus, um, even when they hate him, even when they try to kill him off or at least legislate him out of existence. Uh, we don't want to overreact or catastrophize about this. Christians around the world are in far worse situations than we are in our society, but it, maybe it seems that there is some kind of a, a change in the wind, a tipping point in our society, we're kind of moving from chapter 6 unbelief to chapter 7 unbelief, from a kind of um, just walking away and ignoring of Jesus to really a more active and hostile opposition to him. But that shouldn't throw us, should it? If our Lord wasn't thrown or made anxious by that, um, then we don't need to be either because Jesus shows us what it means to judge Correctly. Not just to go off appearances, what's in front of our faces. Um, It's all tied up, we'll finish here, it's all tied up with what he says about his time. You notice that as we read through, I kind of skipped over that. His time has not yet come, he said to his brothers. He wasn't going to reveal himself with this big show of power, impress people, and become a major political or social player. No, his plan was much bigger than that. And his time, the time for his plan to be worked out, it wasn't, it, his time hadn't come here, but it did come. His time did come. Not long after this, uh, Jesus kind of goes to Jerusalem and then leaves again and comes back. He enters again, not, not that long after this, he enters humble, riding on a donkey. People do flock to him, but very soon they've turned on him. And just a week after that, he was he was made a public display of, nailed to a cross, lifted up to die. And the amazing thing is that that moment was his time. His time had come. That was him revealing himself to the world. That was him doing the great thing that he came to do. This world. This world that is exposed by the light of Jesus, that Jesus declares the works of this world are evil. This world, this world that deserves condemnation, this world God so loved. God so loved. It's incredible, isn't it? This world. God so loved this world that has turned away from him including you and me as a part of it that he sent his one and only son to come into it and to die for it so that whoever believes in him would not face the condemnation they deserve but would receive everlasting life judging the world by that timeline by that plan that's what it means to judge Correctly. Now that's what will help us not to get distracted by mere appearances, but to keep praying, keep persisting in sharing the good news of Jesus, keep loving our world with the gospel. Let's pray. we pray together. <clears> our <throat> Father, we, we pray, please, that you might keep us from getting Jesus wrong, uh, keep us from seeing him as just someone who was on about getting worldly sort of uh, acclaim. Uh, just another man and just another teacher. Lord, we pray that we might, you might do a good a work in our heart to humble us, um, perhaps for the first time. But all of us, again and again, to, that we might see truly who Jesus is, that we might trust Him, and we might know that His teaching comes from You, our, our Father, and that He is the one who judges correctly. We pray that we might judge rightly as well, Father, in the light of, not of the timeline of this world, of the plans of this world, but of your great plan and purpose that you have put into action in the Lord Jesus Christ in his death and resurrection for us. Lord, may that be the thing that motivates and drives us, we pray. And we pray that for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen.